Our executive pastor, Brother Paul Volan, come and bring the word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be here tonight with all of you. I'm excited. I think that the prison ministry that we have going on here is one of the greatest ministries that we have week in and week out that unfortunately we don't hear enough about. Brother Myers, how many prisons are we in now? Six a week that we're ministering in. And a couple of weeks ago, Brother Myers, he told me when Brother Lugo was preaching, how many, how many people got the Holy Ghost? 28? <laughs> That's pretty unbelievable. That outpaces any service. They, they're having better services there than, than we're here, having here at church. Thank God for that. But thank you both, all of you gentlemen, Brother Parker, for being faithful to that and all the rest of the people that are involved with that. If you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 7. And I just want to share this. This is completely off the topic of what I'm going to talk about. But uh, I just finished up speaking on Wednesday nights in a series called Culture Wars. So my mind is kind of attuned to that. And you may have heard it in the past week or two. Uh, there was some statements made. I just think as the church, we need to be aware of this. And we need to be conscious of what's going on in our world if you've ever seen the television show or heard of the television show, The View, they were having a conversation, and one of the one of the women who are a host there, her name is Sunny Hostin. She said it's interesting. They were talking about uh, some new tell-all things that came out about the White House, and she said it's interesting that former White House staffer Omarosa Mag uh, Manengalt Newman recently said that Mike Pence talks to Jesus and he believes Jesus tells him things. Austin said that she is a faithful Catholic, but she doesn't want her vice president speaking in tongues. And then Joy Behar chimed into that, and here's what she said. She said, it's one thing to talk to Jesus. She said, it's another thing when Jesus talks to you, that's called mental illness. Hmm. I don't know, anybody, had anybody heard those statements over the past week or two? Now listen, I just want to make a statement. That that's the kind of bias against Christians that exists in our world, especially spirit-filled Christians that believe that God does care about you and he is involved in your life and he does and can and will speak to you. How many of y'all believe that? I don't, I don't define that as mental illness. That is not mental illness, all right? Uh, that is walking with God, being led of the spirit. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the kind of, now we respond to that with love but we respond to that with truth, right? God can speak to us. It's not always an inaudible voice. Sometimes it's just when you fulfill what he's calling you to do and you know that you're walking in lockstep with him and purpose with him and being led and guided by his spirit. Amen. I just wanted to throw that out there. It was just something that was bothering me that I would have added to that series. But if you've got that passage of scripture, we'll read that here. Now, this past week was a very difficult one for all of us in South Florida because there was some incredibly tragic things that hit very close to home here for us. And there were some things that God had kind of been dealing with me about, and I will tell you right off the bat that everything I'm about to speak, I'm speaking to myself first and foremost, that God was kind of dealing with me on some things, but then this just kind of cemented it for me. And I don't want to leave you with a heavy message tonight, but I do want you to know I'm going to challenge you a little bit here tonight to the best of my ability. And I want you to understand that as I do that, uh, I think this is the greatest church in the world. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not coming here with any axe to grind. I'm so thankful for 
Pastor Hadabaugh, Pastor, thank you for the opportunity to speak tonight. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this church with so many wonderful, inspiring people. And I believe that it's not going to be too long that we're not counting our attendance in the hundreds, but we're counting in the thousands. And I don't necessarily care about that other than the fact that that is representative of souls being saved and changed. Uh, we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back for that, but we should be reaching for a lost world. And I'm excited about that. And I think you all are wonderful and great, but God just dealt with me about this a little bit. So bear with me here tonight. First Timothy chapter six, verse seven says, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou also art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Tonight, I want to talk to you on this title, just a simple title, Lesser Things. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about lesser things. Would you go to God in prayer with me tonight? Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Father. You're so good to us. God, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for your church, God. I know it's imperfect, but God, I also know that it's your bride and it's the vehicle that you've used to deliver healing and the gospel message to this world. God, I pray that you would help us as the church tonight, God, to become more Christ-like. God, that we would lay down lesser things and God, that we would reach for higher things. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated here tonight. As I mentioned, this was an incredibly difficult week for us here because we saw some things that really just should not happen. We saw some children's lives end well before it should have ended. We saw tragedy on a scale that we've seen in other states, but we hadn't really seen it hit quite so close to home. It was a heartbreaking thing. It was a devastating thing. It was a terrible thing. And I don't mean at all to lay blame at the feet of any of the victims here, but it made me think this week about how fleeting life truly is. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised anything beyond today. Uh, I went this past week, I was able to travel and represent Pastor Hadabaugh and the rest of the church here at POCC in Chicago, along with a few others from our church at the funeral of Quentin, Brother Quentin, many of you remember who was here with his wife for a year, a year and a half, and he passed away tragically just a couple of weeks ago at the age of 33 with his wife five months pregnant with their first little boy. Another reminder this week of the fact that we are not promised tomorrow. Uh, we never know when our life is going to come to a screeching halt. We never know when there may be something that completely changes everything about our lives. And as I thought about that and as I contemplated that, this scripture came to mind that speaks of really the battle that we all wage. It's the battle that we all wage between temptation and perdition and lust and on the other side of that equation, faith and righteousness and godliness. We have temptation and perdition and lust, but we're reaching for and disciplining ourselves to reach for faith and hopefully righteousness and godliness. There's always going to be a struggle in our lives between fleshly things and spiritual things. There's going to be a battle waging between eternal things 
and temporal things or between important things, the weighty things, the things that really matter and urgent things or the things that from a day-to-day basis might scream the most loudly at us. There's a, a, a battle waging in all of our lives between the things that are truly valuable, the things that are the higher calling of God and the lesser things in our lives that can get in the way. And the question I want to pose to you tonight is are you living and am I living my life to the eternal higher call of God or am I living my life to lesser things? This is a balancing act that we all struggle with. We're all tempted and we all struggle at times to live our lives to the temporal instead of in light of eternity. We all wrestle with and struggle with what's going to define our lives. If our lives were to come to a screeching halt tomorrow, if we weren't granted tomorrow, what would define our lives? Would we have lived a life with an epitaph that said, well, they were a good human being, but they never really quite got there, right? They consumed their lives with lesser things. Or would you say that's a person who lived their life in light of eternity? They gave their time and their effort and their passion to the eternal things, to the things that really matter. And there's times in all of our lives when we realize we've been living our life to the fulfillment of lesser things. We've been giving our time and our effort and our passion to lesser things as opposed to that higher calling that God's placed on our lives. And when we have experiences like we've experienced this past week, sometimes it's a wake-up call and we realize that our temporal life is not a promise. It can be gone in just an instance. Just an instant, it can be gone. And it causes us to kind of take a, take a pause and say, you know, maybe I need to do some introspection. Maybe I need to look internally and decide again, God, am I really living and fulfilling everything you've called me to be and everything you've called me to do, or am I living my life to lesser things? Now, the truth is, if we were to talk, if I were to sit with any one of you and we were to say, listen, let's talk about what what should the priorities be? What are these higher things that I'm referencing here tonight? What should be the priorities in our lives? I don't think there'd really be any disagreement on that. I think we'd all pretty quickly agree that our first priority should be God. Our next priority should be family. Next on the list should be church and serving the kingdom and working in the kingdom. And then all of the secular things should come after that. All of, the, all of our job circumstances and our financial circumstances and the home we live in. All of those things should kind of come later down the list. But somehow, unfortunately, What we all would agree to, I think, and what we would all easily profess with our mouths can very often become far more complicated and far more skewed and not necessarily what we live our daily life and walk for. Renee would acknowledge that and just say, yeah, of course I would acknowledge that. I would agree that it should be God and it should be my family and it should be my church that I'm serving. But for whatever reason, there are times for all of us when we get that a little confused, we get that a little mixed up. Let me share an illustration for this. I think this is how Satan works to confuse us on these issues. There's a fable which tells of three apprentice devils that were coming to this earth to finish their apprenticeship. And they were talking to Satan, the chief of all devils, about their plans to tempt and ruin men. The first said, I will tell them that there is no God. And Satan said, that will not delude many, for they know that there is a God. Only the fool says in his heart, that there is no God. You'll confuse some, but you won't confuse many. The second said, I'll tell men that there is no hell. 
And Satan answered and said, you may deceive some, but you'll deceive few that way because men know even now that there is a hell for sin. There's an inherent understanding that if there's a heaven, there has to be a hell, right? One can't exist without the other. And the third said, I will go and I'll tell men that there is no hurry. And Satan responded to him and said, go, and you will ruin men by the thousands. Now I want you to think about that for a second. It's Most of us will not be tripped up with huge temptations. Most of us will not make a decision today to go out and wreck our lives tomorrow. But it's just that lie from the pits of hell that you have all the time you could possibly need. Don't be in a hurry. Don't worry. You've got time to get it right. That's the most dangerous of all delusions, that there is plenty of time. It's the most dangerous tactic that the enemy uses to lull us to sleep by making us think that we aren't really locked in that eternal struggle that we read about in Scripture, that it's not really this ongoing daily battle between the temporal and the eternal and the higher calling and the lesser things. It's just saying, it's okay, don't worry about it. Just rest, just relax, don't sweat it, you'll be okay. If you go with me in Scripture, I'm going to read a couple of verses in Haggai. I think we get an example of this in Haggai chapter 1. Let me leave, As you're turning to Haggai chapter 1, let me give you a little background here about this chapter that we're going to read in. Haggai is what's known as a post-exilic book. So if you ever took Old Testament survey and SFBI, you should know what that means. It means after the exile. It was written to the nation of Israel after the exile. So there's almost 50,000 Jews that had returned to Judah and Jerusalem in particular. But they were still a defeated people. It was still a defeated nation. The northern kingdom of Israel had been defeated 130-some years before. And the southern kingdom of Judah was defeated. And the city of Jerusalem and the temple of God were laying in ruins at the time that this was written. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had defeated the southern kingdom. He dispersed all the Jewish people throughout the Babylonian empire and then... The Persian Empire had defeated the Babylonians, and they were the great power in the region. And we have Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, and he issued this decree that permitted all of the conquered people to return to their homeland and rebuild as long as they paid taxes and were loyal to the Persian Empire. So this was not a free people. The nation of God was not free, but they had been allowed to go back to their homeland. They were still living under a foreign power. So it would be as if the state of Florida had been taken over by a foreign country, and then we were allowed to travel back to Florida to live here, still under the decree and still under the power of that foreign nation. We had to pay taxes back to them, but really it was just a strategic thing because they said they'll be easier to control in their homeland than if we keep them here with us. So we'll appease them by letting them go back to their homeland. So they go back to their homeland. And when they got there, the first thing they did, they rebuild the altar part of the temple. So they rebuild the first part of the temple, and then they just stop. And there was some disagreement between them, some opposition to their plans. And so they now had this place to sacrifice, and they had at least an initial place to worship. So they started to turn their attention to themselves, and they started to build their own houses. And we read all about this in the book of Ezra. And so basically, everybody was essentially happy. No, they weren't really free, and they hadn't really finished the temple of God, but at least they had an altar to sacrifice on. And at least they had homes to live in. And so that was all they needed. And then we see God start to speak to them through the prophet Haggai here in verse number 2. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? In other words, he says, why are you living in these beautiful houses? You focused on your home. You focused on all the things that are important to you, all of these lesser things. But here, the house of God, the thing that you really should have focused on first and foremost, the thing that you really should have built to completion, that still lays in ruins unfinished. Why are you sitting back? If you jump down to verse 13, it says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So he's reminding them. He, now, thankfully, they respond, and they go and rebuild the house. But it took God reminding them of their priorities and saying, wait a second. You're living to lesser things here. He's speaking to them that they're giving their lives to things that are not really eternally important. They've become comfortable where they're at. They've become comfortable living in these second things. And we see the response of the people. If you look at verse 2 again, the people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. In other words, they just keep putting off the rebuilding of it. We have a place to worship Things are generally good. We don't need to do this. The timing isn't right. It'll be easier at a later date. It'll be simpler at a later date. This will come more easily to us at a later time, right? Folks, the truth is procrastination is not a new phenomenon. It's not. The Hebrew people were just as guilty of it as we are sometimes. Things were going good. Why rock the boat? Why try to build more of God's house? Why try to get closer to him? Why try to achieve more for the kingdom of God? Why try to grow more in him? Why try to become more Christ-like? Things are generally good, right? We're generally okay. There are people against us. There's some arguments. We're not exactly sure what the next step should be. So it's just as easy to stay the way we are, living to lesser things. It's, it's, it's really very similar to what we hear in our world sometimes when we're trying to work to build the church and advance the kingdom. It's, here's the kind of responses you'll hear very similarly to that today. People say, well, don't misunderstand me. I'm all for rebuilding it, but it's just not the right time. Uh, we're in an economic downturn. Or right now, we're in an economic upheaval, and things are going better. And so work is more busy for me. So I, you know, I have to focus on that right now. There's a lot of political upheaval right now and uncertainty, so I, you know, I need to focus on that. Or there's other things in my life I have to take care of first, like my farm or my house. And at some point, I'll get around to making God and his kingdom a priority. At some point, I'll do that. I promise. Doesn't that kind of sound familiar sometimes in our lives? Their lesser things sound very familiar at times to our lesser things. Can I, can I just share something with you that's heavy on my heart today? You know, we, we're, we're talking about Serve Month right now. And, and we really believe that serving is a part of growing in the kingdom of God. Can I just share something with you? If you feel stagnant in your walk with God, if you feel like maybe you've not really grown for a while, you've not really changed or gotten closer to him, can I just encourage you, this serving thing may be the piece you're missing. 
that may be the thing you need to do to say, you know what, let me get my eyes off of myself. And can I, just, can I just share, I don't mean to knock anybody, I probably shouldn't do this, forgive me in advance, but my heart's just heavy about this. I really don't mean to beat anybody up, it just it, it made my heart heavy this morning because I was in the foyer and I'm grabbing people going, hey, how are you doing, it's great to see you this morning. And I didn't grab anybody that I didn't know. I said, hey, look around, check out these tables, see if there's any ministry you want to get plugged into, if there's anything that piques your interest. And you know what I had a couple people say to me? One person just went, oh, one person didn't even say anything. Just, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> and just laughed and just kept walking. I thought, my goodness, that's a discouraging response, right? I had one person say to me, well, we're just never sure what time we're going to get here, and I know we have to be here on time if we're going to serve, and we're just never sure what time we're going to get here. And I thought, in light of my message for tonight rolling around in my brain, I thought, those are lesser things, right? We can all get here on time. I know we all, folks, I understand. I, I know what it is to drag kids to church and to, and to juggle that and balance that. And I know it's difficult, but we're always going to have reasons why we can't get involved, right? We're always going to have reasons like the, the Hebrew people here about why we can't build the kingdom of God and why we can't grow the kingdom of God. And some of those excuses were so good for them, we, we still use those today. We focus on things that aren't truly important. It's amazing when we do start to focus on the things that are important, how many distractions will pop, will pop up. Did you ever have that? Say, man, I'm just going to set aside a few minutes, and I'm just going to focus on prayer. I'm just going to focus on whatever, and before you know it, a thousand distractions will pop up, right? Let me, I'm going to give you a couple of categories of distractions that lesser things can generally fall into and the things that are not truly eternal and important that can the two categories of things that I want you to start to recognize and think about in your life the first one is a hiding place it's an activity or a distraction that you focus on instead of what's truly important and worthwhile the second one is a noble obstacle it's something that sounds really virtuous it sounds really good it sounds like a high-minded reason for why you can't work towards what's truly important. Let me delve into that a little bit, a hiding place. It's a place you go to to avoid working towards the truly important things of your life. It's a place of avoidance. It's a place of momentary pleasure or reprieve that may not be evil in and of itself. There may not be anything wrong with it. It may be actually a good thing, it may be pleasurable, but you know it's keeping you from the bigger thing that God has called you to you know it's keeping you from the eternal goal. It's an unproductive trap that doesn't lead you to what God's really called you to. And instead of attacking the eternal or the important goal or the higher calling that's going to require skill and effort and discipline, instead of focusing on that, you hide out in this place because it offers a reprieve and it demands no skill and it demands no effort from you. It's the hiding place that may make you feel better. It may allow you to turn your brain off and forget about the higher calling. It may let you forget about some of the situations that you're avoiding. But in reality, they're just keeping you from making progress on the most important goals and on the truly weighty things in your life. Can I tell you how you can figure some of these things out? It's the place you find yourself out, the place you find yourself going to accidentally. You don't plan to go there. You don't plan to spend time doing that thing. You don't put it on the schedule, 
but it just seems to happen. It's the obvious time waster that you never really planned to go to, but you somehow just ended up there. So here's what it looks like. It's the app you open up on your phone without ever thinking. So when you open up your phone and your thumb is just kind of trained to go to that app, right? So it can go by a lot of different names. It can go by names like Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Netflix or Hulu or whatever it might be for you. But it's the thing, television, it's all kinds of things. It's the thing you don't really put on the schedule, but you just find yourself falling into. Everybody with me on that? The hiding places in your life that you find yourself going to avoid what God's really called you to. Now, I want to distinguish one quick thing here before we move on tonight. I want to make sure you understand this. Things like your spouse and your kids and your job, those are not hiding places, all right? You may say, well, that's crazy. Why do you need to distinguish that? Because I've talked to people before who said, well, I have a call of God on my life. I've been called to be a missionary, and my kids are keeping me from the call of God on my life. I've got a call to go be a missionary in a foreign land. And if I didn't have kids, I could fulfill that call. No, 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 all right? Your kids are not a hiding place. They're not a distraction. They're not a hindrance. They're commitments that you are called to first and foremost, okay? Can I just share this with you too? Can I, can I just share this? If you say, man, I'm, I'm called of God. I'm called of God to preach or evangelize or minister. And my job gets in the way of that. And I'm just going to quit my job so I can go focus on that. Can I just tell you that is a mistake, all right? That's a mistake. Until you're bringing in enough money to support your family through ministry, you should not quit your job, okay? Those are commitments you make to provide for your family. Everybody okay? I know this sounds really simplistic, but there are times when people can get confused by those things. Everybody's still good. There's hiding places in our lives that we find ourselves going to. And then the second thing I want to talk to you about, the second issue that we deal with, the second lesser thing category is the category of noble obstacles. Noble obstacles are the very good reasons that you cannot pursue your goal, that you cannot pursue the greater things that God has called you to. And I'm going to talk about two different kinds of noble obstacles as one. The first one, or two different kinds of noble obstacles as well. The first one we're going to call the noble until obstacle. It's the one that sounds like this. I can't do X until I've done Y. In other words, it's the deadly until. It's the until that will ultimately kill you because it cloaks itself in responsibility. It looks responsible. It looks noble. It looks virtuous. It pretends to be noble and high-minded and virtuous and legitimate. It pretends to be all of those things. Here's what it sounds like. Until I figure out why I have emotional issues with food and eat emotionally... There's no sense in me starting to walk around my neighborhood just for a few minutes a night for exercise. What would be the point, right? Let's really deal with the more important things first. Until I know what my entire book is about, there's no sense in me writing the first few words. Until I have a bigger house, or until I have more storage space, or until I know where I want to put everything in my house, there's no sense in cleaning up this one closet or drawer or room, right? There's just no, doesn't that sound logical and noble and virtuous? It's the noble obstacle, right? How about this one? Until I'm making more money, there's really just no sense in doing a budget, right? That sounds correct, doesn't it? Until I've conquered that besetting sin, 
until I've just completely defeated the thing I wrestle with, there's no sense in me coming to church more often. There's no sense in me praying more. There's no sense in me getting involved serving. How about if you say, until I've started praying more, there's no sense in getting involved in serving around the church. You see these noble obstacles? We see? It sounds very good, right? It sounds very good until, until I've done, and it's really just a false narrative. It's really just the thing we set up in our mind to say, I'm just building in a little excuse here. Because the reality of it is, you may not figure out why you wrestle with eating until you start to work out, right? You may not know what your book is about until you write the first chapter or two. You may throw the first chapter or two out and write a whole new book, right? You may not know where every, uh, everything in your house is going to go, but you can clean up one drawer, can't you? Uh, you can do a budget. Scripture says if you're faithful over the small things, he'll make you ruler over more, right? You start to manage the small well, and God will put more in your hands when he can trust you with it, right? You see, Scripture totally blows that logic up, but we wrestle with it until, until I can do certain things, right? Here's the second noble, noble obstacle. It's the if-then trap. This is the if-then noble obstacle. This is the land of extremes where we live with no balance whatsoever. There's no in-between. We say things like, if I ate healthier, then I'd be broke because Whole Foods is just crazy expensive, right? Who can afford to buy healthy food? Who can afford to really eat healthier? And we make it sound like a very noble thing, right? I can't cut corners anywhere. I can't improve in any small incremental way. I can't get better from one day to the next. There's just no balance here. Because again, if I ate healthier, I'd be broke. And God doesn't want me to be broke, right? I mean, God doesn't want me to waste my money on health food when I have to provide for my family, right? That'd be crazy. How about this? If I, I'd get in shape and work out, I'm starting to feel a twinge of guilt here, just so you know, all right? I'd get in shape and work out, but if I did that, I'd probably get really bulky and big. And those bodybuilder guys, they just don't look good in suits, you know. Their clothes don't really fit them well. And I don't want to, you know, that, I don't want to look. I'd probably get arrogant. I'd probably get focused on, on just my flesh too much. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up this. I'm going to be spiritual and not work out, right. I'm not going to take care of the body that God's given me. Because if I did, uh, I'd probably just, you know, I'd probably just be arrogant about it. How about this one? If I said, well, if I, if I pursued prayer, that might be selfish because that's a solitary activity and my kids need my time, right? So, you know, my kids need that. Now, listen, your kids need your time, but you don't have to take time from your kids to pray, right? See, that's the second type of noble obstacle. It says, if I were to do this good thing, if I were to lay down this lesser thing, then there's this other negative thing that would probably happen. And I'm wise enough to see that, so I'm just going to outsmart it. And I'm just going to cloak my living to lesser things in what looks like spirituality, right? Everybody still good? Amen. Now, let me, I'm going to give you a brutal, brutal tool. If you really want to defeat lesser things, if you really want to get past procrastination and hiding places and noble obstacles, if you really want to defeat those things, I'm going to give you this really amazing, radical, but brutal tool that will help you overcome that. Everybody, everybody ready? Anybody want that tool? Here's how you do it. If you want to find out if you have hiding places in your lives that are keeping you from what God's called you to be and do, if you want to find out if you set up noble obstacles in your life, here's what you do. Go to your spouse, go to a trusted godly friend, and ask them if they see any areas of your life where you may be focusing on lesser things. 
Everybody get that? Because here's the reality. They're pretty easy to spot. They're not that hard to pick out. You probably already know, and you're just wrestling with it. But if you really want to get radical, if you really want to stop living to lesser things and say, God, I want my life to be lived to your calling, go and ask somebody you trust. Go and ask your spouse. Go and ask a friend and say, are there areas of my life life where I'm focusing on lesser things? And here's the truth. If they answer you truthfully, which they should, it's probably going to sting you a little bit in the short term. But the reality of it is it may also save your life in the long term. Because here's what happens with these lesser things. Again, I've already told you they're probably not horrible in and of themselves. They're probably not the worst thing ever. They might not even be sinful and probably aren't sinful in and of themselves. But they set you in a direction. They set you on a course or they start to accumulate. And then all of a sudden you find yourself at a week like this week where all of a sudden we're not promised tomorrow. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I've invested just these small amounts of time day after day after day and lesser things. I've invested just these small, uh, small efforts and, and, and passion and energy into these lesser things. And now I've realized my time is up. I don't have anything else to invest. Have I really ended up where I wanted to get up? And, and, and the truth is, again, it may sting a little. You may not like what you hear from your spouse or from a loved one or from a leader or an authority in your life, but the reality of it is you probably need to hear it. And it's very difficult, it's incredibly difficult to be that transparent and open with somebody else, isn't it? To ask them, hey, how can I do better? Where do you see me living to lesser things? But here's why it's important to do it. Here's why I'm challenging you to do it. Because the reality is it's much easier for the enemy to trick and deceive and defeat one person than it is for the enemy to trick and deceive and defeat a team of people. He may deceive you in an area, but he's far less likely to, de- to deceive two or three or four people in any one specific area, isn't he? And if you don't believe that, let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about the worst decisions you've ever made in your life. The worst decisions, you're right, were probably made while you were alone. The worst decisions in your life, you probably did not consult anybody else. You probably didn't counsel with anybody else. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're in the throes of that decision, I hope you just take a minute and say, God, let me, let me just check myself. Let me just pause for a moment. Because it is true, most of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life, I made based on my own understanding alone, not in the safety of counsel. As our musicians come, we're going to start to close here tonight. Here's the problem. All of these lesser things that we're talking about tonight, they're never going to seem that dangerous in and of themselves. You're never going to think they could kill you. They won't seem that bad. And quite frankly, again, they might not be sinful. They might not be that bad. But if you continuously live to lesser things, you'll wake up one day and you'll find that most of the important things in your life have been left undone. I'm going to share with you one of the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching situations is when you talk to people and they go, I didn't keep God the center of my life. And now it's wreaked all of this havoc in my life. It didn't seem that way. It just happened very gradually over time, right? It, It wasn't a conscious decision that was made to walk away. And yet all of a sudden, because we just lived to lesser things, not evil things, not negative things, just 
less than what God called us to, right? Less than what God had spoken to us. Less than the calling that he'd given us on our lives. It was just lesser things, not evil things. All of a sudden, we wake up one day and we realize that our life has become difficult. That our life has become short. We don't have another day to invest in higher things. And all of a sudden, we're left with less than what God made us for. And unfortunately, sometimes we're left with heartache and ruin when circumstances happen beyond our control. Have you ever had that? You say, oh God, I've lived my life to lesser things. Here's a warning. Go with me if you would to Matthew chapter 23. We get this warning in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 about these lesser things. Here's what it says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. He said, you've done some good things. It's not that you've done evil things. It's not that you've done horrific things. It's not even that you've necessarily been out sinning, right? It's not that you've been out living a life of, uh, of horribleness. It's not necessarily that. But you've lived your life to lesser things, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. These ought you to have done without neglecting the others. It's saying, listen, those other things aren't evil. You don't necessarily have to avoid and neglect all of those other things. You can do those, but if you make those things the priority, then you'll find yourself in a place of ruin because you will have neglected these weightier matters, and you've been called to this higher calling. You've been called to these weightier matters. And then if you go back a few chapters, you get a promise about living to that higher calling. We get this warning about living to lesser things. But then in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, we get a promise about when we live to a higher calling. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Scripture basically says, listen, when you keep first things first, when you stay in this eternal temporal battle, when you stay in the fight and you live your life in light of eternity and you give your time and effort and passion, when you give it to the weightier things, to the higher calling, God will take care of all the lesser things too. He'll take care of all of that. He'll, 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 make, he'll make amends in all of those areas. He'll make provision in all of those areas. So I want to I just ask you a few questions tonight. If you were honest, if you were in a moment of introspection and you were to say to yourself, what are the lesser things that I might need to sacrifice on the altar in order for the truly important God-ordained and God-called things in my life to come to pass? And here's what I believe. Let me just share this with you again. I believe this is a great church. I believe that it's a wonderful church, that God is blessing. We got testimony of that this morning, how we were able to work and reaching and sending gifts to those kids in Dominica. What an awesome thing. I, we, we had, what did we say, eight get baptized here today. At least one get the Holy Ghost. Uh, we had 28 get the Holy Ghost in prison services. That, those are things that we ought not to take for granted. Those are things that a lot of churches don't ever get to see in the frequency in which we get to see it. There's a lot of great things going on here. But I don't think that God's done here yet. I don't think that he's finished. I think that we're just getting a taste, just a little taste of what God still wants to do in this church. And I believe that all of you are called to be a part of that.
In other words, yes, Pastor Hatterball is going to do his role. Yes, our pastoral staff is going to do their role. We're going to work hard. We're going to do everything God's called us to do to the best of our ability. But it's not going to happen just because Pastor Hatterball is doing his thing and the pastoral staff is doing their thing. No, 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 no. It's bigger than that. All right? The things that God wants to do are far bigger than that, and it's going to take far more than just two or three of us. It's going to take all of you living to a higher calling, not living your life to lesser things. And the amazing thing about that is, is that when we do that, I, I can't even imagine the amazing things we're going to get to be a part of, the amazing things we're going to get to see. The backsliders will get to see come home and restored. The people whose lives were destroyed by sin, who will get to touch, who will get to allow God to work through us to see them saved and made whole. Who knows the ministries and the people that will be touched through this church, through all of you. But it's going to take us asking questions like this and going, God, what are some of the lesser things I may need to sacrifice? What are some of the things I may need to lay down for the truly important, the things that are less for the things that are truly important? the things that you've ordained, the things that you've called and purposed my life for, the things that you want to work through me, the things that you've gifted me to do, that there's a lot of other wonderfully gifted people in this church, and the church may go on without me, but that specific expression of ministry won't take place if I'm not here. There will be people, however many thousands of people that might be saved, there will be some segment of people that won't be reached because I wasn't there living to my higher calling. I was off living to lesser things. Can, can you just let that kind of just sink in for just one moment? And here's the kind of questions you're going to have to ask. Say, okay, God, what has to go on the altar? What has to be sacrificed? What has to be sacrificed so that my prayer life will be what it needs to be? God, what things might, what lesser things might I need to sacrifice on the altar for my marriage to be as strong as it needs to be? God, what kind of lesser things might I need to sacrifice to make sure that my kids grow up in the house of God, learning and knowing the things of God? Because I'd far rather my kids know about the things of God than be great pianists, soccer players, debate team members. I don't know, you fill in the blank. I'm not against any of those things. I think all of those things are wonderful in priority and perspective. But if they grow up knowing those things, instead of being in the house of God, learning in the house of God, what will we have gained? God, what things do I need to sacrifice? God, what things do I have to leave on the altar of sacrifice so that I can just make sure one more time that my salvation and my eternal destination is secure? See, here's the thing. If you live a life to lesser things, it'll tell you, the enemy will tell you, just like that apprentice devil will tell you, no need to hurry. You have plenty of time. You can get this straight at some point. And if you live your life to lesser things, you'll be told that you have plenty of time and that you're okay. But I want to say to you tonight, we don't know how much time we have left. None of us are promised tomorrow. And I don't want to leave you discouraged tonight because if you look internally, and I can tell you this, this I told you at the beginning, God was dealing with this about me and some things I was reading before I ever put this message together. I can tell you this, it may feel like if you start looking internally, you go, I've lived my life to some lesser things, and, and what am I going to do now? I've wasted all these resources. I've wasted all this time. I've squandered opportunity. I've, I've, I've blown it, right? Can I just tell you that is not true? 
You can still lay those lesser things down. You can still be done with lesser things today, and God's calling is still on your life. As a matter of fact, God specializes in taking lives that have been tainted by lesser things and restoring them to the higher purpose and calling that he's placed on our lives. Can you stand with me tonight? Can you just take a few moments? I know it's, it's a Sunday night. We still have some time here. Can you just take a few moments and just say, God, let me, I'm just going to devote a few minutes to you in prayer tonight, God. Maybe I'm doing great. Maybe I'm living my life according to the purpose that God's placed on it. But God, I just want to take a few moments of introspection tonight. I want to make sure that I'm not living my life to lesser things. God, that my prayer life is what it should be. God, that my marriage is what it should be. That my relationships are what, it, what they need to be. God, if there's anything in my life that's a lesser thing that I know it might not be evil, but God, it's leading me down a path that I don't need to go down. Can you just start to say, God, help me to weed that out tonight. Let me go talk to somebody. Let me go counsel with somebody about that that will love me, that will show me grace, but they'll also hold me accountable on those things. They'll also walk with me as I lay down those lesser things. Can I just make sure, God, that there's nothing standing in the way of my kids growing up in the house of God, that there's nothing standing in the way of my salvation. God, that I'm not living my life to lesser things, but God, that I'm living my life to the higher calling. How many want that? God, I want the higher calling. I want everything that you have for me. I want everything that you purposed for me. I want everything that you've spoken over me. God, every potential thing that can come to pass in my life, that's what I want. God, those are the things I want to see come to pass. And God, I want to stop living the lesser things. I want to live according to your calling. Man, can you just start to call out to him tonight? Jesus. God, Jesus, let us look at our hearts tonight. Let us inspect ourselves, God. Let us see if there's anything that would come between you and I. God, I pray that you would help us to rip it out. God, that you would help us to lay it down on the altar, that we would leave it before you, God. Jesus, we want everything that you've got for us tonight. We've got, we want everything that you have for us. Jesus, Everybody say Jesus at the center of it. 